Health by Heather Hirsch, a podcast dedicated to uncovering many of the women's health issues many of us are wondering about, but few of us are talking about. My mission is to expose the current gaps in knowledge and care on all things women's health. Enjoy. Hey, welcome back. I am here today to talk about the one thing that is on everyone's minds. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, maybe the date will help. It is March 12th, 2020. So everyone is thinking, breathing, and living for updates on the coronavirus. I thought to myself that I'm probably not the best person to do a podcast on the coronavirus. Now, it's not that I'm terribly unqualified. I'm not an infectious disease physician. I'm merely an internist who now specializes in menopause. But I do think that one of the things that I can do is to sit in this room, put something out there that maybe will affect and help people by giving my personal story and my personal take, as well as my medical take on the coronavirus. So that is what we are going to get into today. Before we get into all of that, don't forget to check out my website, heatherhirschmd.com. You can also check out my complete guide to menopause course, and you can find that on heatherhirschmd.com slash course. Now it is a great time to take a course especially if a lot of us are going to be at home, I definitely, definitely recommend my menopause course. It is chock full of information all about menopause, ranging from how to diagnose it to how to interpret your labs. And then it gets into hormone therapy, risks and benefits, non-hormonal therapy, sexual health, bone health, breast health, and more. You name it. It's really, really, really awesome. Also, I started a new YouTube channel. It's Health by Heather Hirsch, where you can actually see me. And I'm going to be putting up a ton of videos over there as well. So you can feel free to check that out too if you've got some time on your hands. The reason that I have some time on my hands is my clinic was canceled today. So I was kind of doing my thing, sitting in clinic when I was told that some people left with symptoms of cough were being tested for corona. And so essentially what they were going to do is just cancel clinics for the rest of the day. And I thought to myself, yeah. I think this is appropriate. Now I want to start with sort of my 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 personal waxing and waning of what I have personally been thinking about the coronavirus. Now, back when we knew it was just isolated to China, I remember thinking to myself that it would be really this sounds just I mean everything that I would listen to from podcasts to uh, reading stories on the New York Times, it did sound really frightening. And there was a piece of me that thought to myself, well, that's pretty far away. And that sounds really freaking scary. And then I think like most people, I went through a denial phase where as it was starting to creep closer to the United States, it was starting to get to South Korea. And then I went to Europe and Italy. I thought like, well, you know, this is really, I did what most people did. And I started to compare it to the flu, something which I am no longer doing because it is almost like comparing apples to oranges. So when I moved to Boston, I would very commonly ask my husband, which house do you like better? Do you miss our old house? You know, we lived in this beautiful mid-century ranch and it kind of had open concept a lot more than my, you know, now I live in a 
traditional two-story colonial rooms are closed off, built in the 1920s. And he says, Heather, you cannot compare them. It's like apples and oranges. And I've started to think about that as I've started to, to stop myself from comparing this to the flu because they are completely different. Now, a lot of people are comparing it in terms of, you know, mortality rates. You will hear a lot of people say, we should still be thinking about the flu. More people are dying from the flu. And those things are all true, but actually it kind of compounds the problem of coronavirus in a couple of ways. But again, it is like comparing apples and oranges. And that's for a couple of reasons. Number one, there is a lot about coronavirus that we don't know, including how best to treat it. So I have heard, and again, not seen firsthand. Remember, I spend my time in, a, in an office treating menopause, but I've heard from, from infectious disease physicians and the CDC that they're trying to use anti-malarial medications, perhaps trying HIV medications or other antiviral medications um, to stop the coronavirus. I don't know the latest update on that. Today is March 12, 2020. But again, the overarching issue is that we still are not sure how to treat it. It is transmitted really rapidly and very easily. And unlike the flu, it seems to be affecting or or having mortality even in younger people. Now, yes, the majority of people who do get fall ill and who who die at this point, I think there's been over 4,000 deaths worldwide, tend to be older, uh, tend to be males with a history of pre-existing lung disease, such as if you're a smoker, interstitial lung disease, COPD, etc., but that doesn't mean that in rare cases, we haven't had mortality in younger people. Also, you may have heard of the physician, the China, the physician in China who uh, was the whistleblower, the first one to really talk about the coronavirus, and he passed away. And this was a relatively, you know, well, this was a for all intents and purposes, healthy male. I don't know if he was a smoker or or if he had any other medical conditions, but what stuck with me was when somebody said, you know, what what could have happened to him was just compounding exposure. So if he was around a lot of people who had the virus, say he saw, let's say 20 patients who coughed and sneezed on him, that a compounding effect of the viral load made it so much that he fell sick with pneumonia and, and ultimately passed away. So there, again, it's apples to oranges. The other slight difference is the percent of mortality rate. And this is very, very hard to figure out what percent of people are dying from coronavirus because we simply do not know, especially in the United States where we're not, not you know, actively testing people. We do not know how many people actually are carriers or who have coronavirus and have mild symptoms and then that therefore knowing what percent of people actually die. So right now what's reported is about, um, I hear anywhere from like a a one to 3% mortality rate, which is significantly higher. Okay. Than the mortality rate of the flu, which is about, you know, 0.1%. Um, But again, we're comparing apples to oranges. And I almost think that, again, while I was in my state of denial, I too would go around talking about, you know, the mortality, we don't know, the mortality rate is probably a lot lower than one to 3%, but 
I think that that really I have to stop thinking and we have to stop thinking about comparing them because it's literally not helpful. Now, again, I said it kind of compounds the problem. So what is the worry and why we've started to implement and why we're all hearing about social distancing is, and, and you may have already heard this, but we're going to overwhelm the system. Now, I kind of don't like throwing out numbers, especially in this podcast, especially because one, I'm not the expert, but two, they change all the time. But I just recently read another article which said there's like uh, 45,000 ventilators in the United States, let's let's say. And again, I, I'm kind of just throwing this number out there, but there's only a limited number of ventilators and ICU beds in the United States. So if there is a true pandemic, if everyone gets sick at once, what I read over in Italy is that they're having to turn people away. Now that sounds literally horrible to say, but that is the issue. Social distancing may not necessarily decrease the cases, but it's going to spread them out so that the system can adequately control for them. Now, don't forget, we already have people on those ventilators. We already have people with the flu. We already have people who are ill from other conditions. And so, you know, we're not all just treating just coronavirus, like heart attacks and strokes. Those things aren't stopping. So the flu isn't stopping. So it's compounding the stress and the pressure on the healthcare system. And so these things are are really important to take in mind that you can't compare this to flu. It is apples and oranges. And my waxing and waning is probably understandable in the sense that I think that that some of us are, you know, non-alarmists or we're in denial. But again, I'm not starting to panic, but I am starting to think that this is a reality and it is probably going to get a little bit worse before it gets better. So I'm an avid listener of the daily podcast, which comes out every morning by the New York Times. And so what I kind of want to tell you next came from the information in that podcast. But again, I just want to do my part in sharing it with you who are my listeners. So China and South Korea were both praised by the World Health Organization when they officially declared the coronavirus a pandemic, I believe yesterday, which would be March 11th, 2020. Now, all of us who don't live under a rock, we all know that this started in South Korea, or sorry, started in China and then went to South Korea. But they did something pretty radical, and I didn't really know this. I knew that Wuhan had shut down and that, you know, everyone was quarantined and at home, but it got a little bit more aggressive than that. So what they did is they set up fever clinics. So if you had a fever and and a cough or any other symptoms, you would do a drive-through to one of these fever clinics. There, the health professionals were dressed in, you know, complete guard, you know, shielding, shielding clothes with the glasses, the goggles, you know, the whole thing. It looks like it's in a movie, but they would check your temp, they would check your temperature and check a CBC and they would check your white blood cell count. And they would rule out by those two things. If it, you know, wasn't Corona, if, if, if it did seem like it was still a possibility, then you would get a CT scan. Now here in the United States, you know, when we think of a CT scan, this can be a 30 to 60 minute procedure, but Apparently, they were doing some kind of very quick or like industrial type CT scans where they were CT scanning about 200 people a day. Again, this is what I heard from that podcast, which is a pretty good source. 
Now, I also had seen some of these CT scans, and and actually the coronavirus does sort of have this very um, unique pattern on the CT scans. So there is a a way to kind of um, rule in or rule out uh, at least the possibility of coronavirus on a CT scan. If it looked like the CT scan looked concerning, then um, people would get testing and they would be quarantined in a sort of, let's say, gymnasium for lack of better words words in a building or warehouse or gymnasium and they'd be quarantined by sex so men women children and you couldn't go see your children and you had to really stay there and that is how aggressively they have made changes so not just this is not just staying at home this is not just self-quarantine um because think about it if you're ill in your home the people who were getting sick were your family members And then this was just continuing and continuing. Eventually, one family member would need to go to the store or would go infect somebody else. And then people were home quarantining and infecting their entire family. So this type of aggressive measure helped them decrease their cases so dramatically that I believe yesterday there was 26 new cases diagnosed, which is, if you've been listening to the news, a complete and massive drop. Now, South Korea has done the same thing. South Korea also has a company which was able to utilize artificial intelligence to create a coronavirus test in, I believe, two to three weeks. And they tested tens, ten. 10,000 people, uh, much more than who are currently being tested in the United States. And so because of that, they could accurately, more accurately tell then who had coronavirus. And then they were also quarantined in one of these like gymnasium style things. Now, the question is, is that something that the United States is ready for? These are places that have are used to a dictatorship. They're not democracies. And so doing something like that might be hard in the United States, but where that hasn't been done, where there was some resistance in sort of stopping, you know, a big events, um, games, etc., was in Northern Italy, which, as you now know, is where there is a lot of a, a lot of problems with the coronavirus, and so you can kind of see they delayed doing some of these things. They delayed social distancing. And so essentially the hospital symptoms, systems in Italy are being completely overwhelmed, which I said earlier is going to be one of the biggest problems. It's just an overwhelming of the system in which there's just not enough machines and there's literally just not enough manpower to take care of people. And, and this is when it becomes really, really frightening. So I was reading that in Italy, they were having to turn people away from the hospital. Is that true? I don't know, but you know, it's, it's really, it's really probably likely because I can see how easy it is to overwhelm the system. Now, my wonderful husband, I mentioned, he is, he's a frontline person. He's, he's a nurse director on a med search floor in the city of Boston. And so it is definitely going to affect my life, just like it's affecting every single one of your lives, whether it's small or whether it's not. At this point, it's probably not small. Things are being closed left and right. So, you know, the NBA canceled the season. I heard a lot of the sporting, all of the different, you know, hockey, basketball, you know, college basketball, they're really canceling them. Schools and universities are being closed. No one's coming back after spring break. A friend just canceled her wedding. People are really, really canceling their events and really trying to do this social distancing. But 
I guess the question is, how good are we doing this social distancing? And is this going to be enough? And as I mentioned, where they had more aggressive measures, things really did get better. But there's more to come. Of course, I don't make these decisions. I'm just kind of floating these ideas out there. I'd love to hear what you guys think as well. How do you think that we could do it? Do you think that it could be a done? And do you think that it needs to be done? Because I will say I am a little bit worried that we are a little bit behind the eight ball. And I say that coming from a person who started off just a week ago thinking again, like most people, that this was not as big of a deal as it probably is. We also talked about how testing is not really readily available in the United States, and that is a problem. Again, uh, I'm a physician and my own clinic was closed because people did come down with symptoms. And even if I was really close with these people, the only way I can get tested is if I talk to my uh, a practice manager and they screen me and then I go to a certain area in the hospital to be screened. But it's not as simple as just saying, you know, hey, can I get a blood test? Um, so that just really does add another layer of complexity to the entire situation of, well, we really just don't know how many people actually have the coronavirus. And then again, all those numbers that people are spewing out just because we all just want to kind of go and talk, use our conversational skills and our number skills to kind of talk to each other about this. They just, they change so rapidly and it's really hard to put your finger on the pulse because there's just so much that we don't know. One other thing I heard that I kind of just wanted to pass on, which is, again, this is not really my favorite topic, but the question is, when will this really sink in that this is a really big pandemic? Um, You know, I think that it is slowly starting to affect each and every one of us. I think we are really starting to take it seriously. Now, some of you might say, Dr. Hirsch, I was serious about this from day one, and I applaud you. You're ahead of me in this. I think I had my own personal denials or fears And, you know, the question of when will this sink in is changing by the hour. You know, even as I left work today, I went by the grocery stores. I actually drove by the grocery stores. The lines were way too long to go in. And I kind of said to myself, well, you know, I don't really want to stand in that line either. So, um... To tell you the truth, I actually went to CVS where nobody really was, where they have all the processed food on the shelves. So it worked out really well. But, you know, this might not really sink in until someone you know is affected or is really, really sick. And for some of us, we can kind of point to like Tom Hanks. Now, we don't, I mean, I don't know about you. I don't really know Tom Hanks personally. He doesn't call me on the phone. We don't have each other's cell. But I know who Tom Hanks is. And I have watched every single movie of his. And so to think, you know, he has coronavirus, it's almost like, oh, gee, somebody I know has it. And I just, I don't want us to wait until that's what happens. In the podcast I was listening to, and they were talking about the aggressive measures over in China and South Korea. And, you know, the host said, what will it take for the U.S. to do something like like this aggressive? And he said, you know, probably for this to happen, for people that we know and love to fall ill and, and die. And, and, and it is horrifying. It is absolutely horrifying. And again, I don't know that I'm, I'm not really actually trying to say, I think that that's what we need to do right now. In fact, all I really wanted to do was jump on this microphone and kind of do some therapeutic talking and just kind of get some of these thoughts out to 
to the people who listen to my podcast and take a break from our regular scheduled programming because really COVID-19 is just really on everyone's mind. So next is this is really going to affect not just the economy, that's pretty obvious, but this is going to affect your personal economy. So by that, your personal economy is, you know, your family unit, your nuclear family, your extended family, and your finances. So it's going to affect you in some way or another. Now, last night, my husband and I sat down and we had our, you know, family emergency preparedness plan plan what will happen when daycare is closed and we kind of had to think through what will we do on these days who is the ones that have to go who has to go to work who has to see patients and what will we do and you know luckily I think the thing is is that at least in 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 this case employers understand that if schools are closed that's gonna that literally is going to affect so many employees because they they have to take care of young children there's only so many people who can babysit and there's only so many there's only so many days that they can babysit your kids so so we're all going to have to start thinking about that emotional, uh, that personal economic planning. And with that just kind of goes along with how much things do you want to stock up on? And I, I really think, you know, and I have multiple conversations a day with my mom about this, that, you know, it's, it's, it's fine to kind of s- stock up on some things, but like to a level, you know, like if you hoard everything, that really doesn't make sense because then there's not enough for people to go around. Also, I really don't think necessarily that this is going to affect food or products. Now, I know we don't know and there's definitely an unknown, but I do still think there will be food. I still think there will be paper products. I don't understand the toilet paper situation. There's plenty of ways to wipe your tush that don't involve paper, but just saying. So, you know, again, get some things in your house. Feel comfortable if that's what you need, you know, but don't hoard the whole store. It's just probably just, it's just probably too much. So, you know, as I've sort of been waxing and waning and swinging back and forth from not being panicked at all to really starting to, you know, worry, I think the answer is really just somewhere right in the middle. As I mentioned to my very best friend, you know, panicking is just not going to help. She said to me, you know, I'm waking up. I can't sleep. I'm really worried about my family. I'm really worried about my kids. My husband is traveling. I said, you just really got to control what you can control and keep your immunity good. You know, you've got to sleep. You've got to listen to some meditation. You have to, you know, you have to stay off the internet. You have to stop reading and looking at images of worst case scenario. I and mean, we all just have to stop. We literally, you know, have to band together. This is really really different than um, an isolated event and things that have been going on in the last several years, people being hurt, people being injured, you know, really severe weather. This is affecting the globe. You know, this is officially a pandemic. And I think the last one was the 1918 flu. I know there was really bad flu in like 56 and 68. And I don't know if those were pandemics, but you know, my mom said to me, this is the first time I've ever lived through something this crazy. And, you know, my mom has experienced a lot of things in her 60s. But for for the majority of the people on the planet, this is our very first pandemic. This is a global situation. This is not political any longer. And so it's just not worth anyone's energy to you know, try to fight people on this. And again, it's really not worth your energy to panic either because it's just not helpful. We all really kind of have to band together. We all have to do our part. We all need to stay responsible. So as I'm kind of starting to wrap up my thoughts here, 
you know, I do really think that I've come a little bit of a distance and perhaps you guys have as well as we embark on March 20th or March 13th, which is tomorrow, or maybe that's the day that you're listening to this podcast. But I say those dates because this is not a podcast that's probably going to be evergreen content. I hope in several months this will be historic. But, you know, again, in the time and place that we're in right now, I think there are a couple of things we need to really think about as a as as a globe and also as 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 a country and as humans. So what's happening is really serious. Um social distancing is really the thing that makes the most sense, although I don't know if that is going to be enough, but I also don't know if we are ready for more aggressive measures. But I do think it is helpful for us to at least think about what we would do in those situations and what would it look like. I don't want this to be something that affects us when someone we know or love gets hurt or falls very ill. Hence, that's why we should probably be thinking about this now. So if you want to think about somebody that you know, think about Tom Hanks, because we all know about Tom Hanks and we're all praying and he's going to, he, just has to be fine. But again, we don't want it to be somebody even closer to us. This is going to affect your personal economy. So you do want to get together with the people that you live with, with the people that you're closest with and discuss this with each other. Now, no doubt at this point, your employers have already talked to you about what they think and et cetera. And I don't mean the economy at large. That's, that's not my not my place to discuss and intervene, but how is this going to affect your personal economy? How is this going to affect, you know, what medications do you need to have? What if you do need to see a doctor? Um, What appointments you should cancel and what family decisions that you need to make? Um, Make sure that you are not panicking and buying out the entire store of, you know, wine, socks, (laughs) toilet paper, you know, get the essentials, get enough, but just leave some for other people. Um, because again, it it's not worth panicking or buying out the entire store for. Hospitals are going to be overwhelmed. It's really likely. So we need to do our very best to keep our immune systems up. We need to do our very best to just listen to authoritative figures, whether it's your employers, um, whether it's your, uh, your, your county, your state, or the federal government. We all kind of just need to really listen and we need to work together and not really fight the system, which I don't really see a lot of people doing. But again, I I just, I I sprinkle those seeds in case aggressive measures do get a little bit more aggressive. And I want you all to stay safe and sound. So if that means staying at home, there's so many good things you can do at home. You can watch my YouTube videos. (laughs) You can take my menopause course, you know, work on things, write, paint, do exercise at home, do your hobbies. I mean, we have to sort of find not the good, but we have to keep ourselves sane and our immune system up. And by making yourself happy, there's just no way that those that can hurt those things. Again, I thank you guys for listening in to this podcast. It's a little different than what I normally do. And this is not my area of expertise, but as an internal medicine physician, you know, I did just want to talk to you not about exact numbers and not about which websites you should go to um, and not about incidences and mortality rates, but really just as if this is your friend talking to you with a medical background and some perspective on what this really could shape up to look like. 
I pray for everyone. Stay happy, stay warm, stay home, and stay positive. Again, if you have any comments or questions, feel free to just drop me a, a message either on Instagram, I'm at hormone.health.doc, at Twitter, I'm at Heather Hirsch MD. Um, you can also find my Facebook page, Heather Hirsch MD, as well as, of course, my website, which is heatherhirschmd.com. Thank you guys all for listening in. I will talk to you soon. Bye.